Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. For over 25 years, Sports Illustrated Kids has delivered sports the way kids want to read about it. And we've delivered it every month in print. Now, we're happy to be relaunching SIKids.com. The new site was designed to be mobile first to give our audience the content it craves in an easily digestible way. Kids are some of the most passionate sports fans around. We plan to make this site the experience they deserve. Head to SIKids.com right now to check it out. Again, that's SIKids.com. Welcome to SI's Planet Football Podcast, where each week we discuss the latest in the world of soccer. I am SI.com soccer editor Avi Creditor, joined today by SI senior writer Grant Wall and SI.com's Brian Strauss. Gentlemen, welcome. How are you? Doing well. I'm in Guatemala for the U.S. Guatemala World Cup qualifier Friday night. Brian's going to take the baton from me in Columbus on Tuesday. Fantastic. Brian, how's everything going? On my couch. All is well. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, before we jump into a lot of World Cup qualifying talks, obviously the international break, the USA, as Grant said, has two games against Guatemala. Uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't begin uh, with the news of the day. We're taping this on Thursday, and uh, one of the greatest players of all time, Johan Cruyff, has passed away at the age of 68. Um, an awful, awful story. He, uh, he lost the battle with lung cancer. And guys, I just wanted to get from you your your memories uh, of him, uh, if you had any interactions with him. Um, Brian, I, I know we were talking off off air before, and, and you said you actually got a chance to to speak with him at the 2000 MLS Cup. I did, yeah. And I, w- I don't know if I've ever been as nervous. I mean, I was brand new in the business, so I was everything made me nervous. But uh, I think even now, uh, I, I can't imagine anyone uh, who would... Uh, raise my pulse, uh, you know, beforehand more than talking to Cruyff. Um, you know, Cruyff was the first pro soccer player I was aware of. I mean, he spent uh, a, a season with the Washington Diplomats in the NASL, and I was too young to go to a game at that point. But I, I do have sort of a, a, a hazy memory of of hearing about him, about hearing his name, about hearing that he was playing with the Dips. And, and um, you know, he, that name just sort of stuck with me. Uh, and then when I started playing and went to camps and was shown video of Cruyff, you know, I, I changed my number from 11 to 14 uh, for, for Cruyff. So, um, you know, being being a very, very young reporter and news aide at The Washington Post in 2000 and sort of running quotes and helping out Stephen Goff at MLS Cup 2000, Cruyff was there uh, to watch his friend Risto Stoichkov. And uh, a few of us were told that he would be available. I guess it was at halftime, uh, maybe to answer some questions. So, you know, Steve Goff sent me with my recorder uh, to, to run onto the concourse of RFK to try to get a word from Cruyff. Uh, and I did. And, and I got to ask a question and I asked him 
It was just something like what it felt like to be back in Washington, you know, where he, where he spent a, a year of his career after after leaving Barcelona. Um, and uh, I actually looked up the story that that Steve wrote with the quote, and it, it's not a great quote. He just says, "Yes, very good memories. A lot of things came to my mind about when I was here, all the nice things that I've had here, but of course, a lot of things have changed." And it's okay. It's a terrible quote, actually, but uh, it, it was uh, it was a thrill. It, it was you know I'd been covering high school and college sports and and helping out Steve with with United and things like that. So to get to, to have thirty seconds to talk to someone like Johan Cruyff was an incredible thrill. He he was amazing. I'm sure. I'm sure. And and he was amazing. Amazing on the field, Grant. What uh, what memories do you have of Cruyff, the player? Well, I I would just suggest because he played at a time where not that many of us saw him play live. Uh, go on YouTube. I put up a link to a great Croix video in which he's got some interviews as well, talking about his philosophy, but also just the way he changed the game. You could argue he changed this sport, the world sport, more than any other single figure as far as how uh, people thought about it, uh, playing creative soccer, soccer with imagination, um, and winning soccer as well. He was the fundamental figure in the history of Ajax, one of the great European clubs, and the fundamental figure in the history of Barcelona, obviously one of the great European clubs. What you see with Barcelona today is, it, it all goes back to Johan Cruyff. He influenced everything that's happened there ever since. Um, and so clearly one of the top three or four greatest players of all time. You've got to include Pelé, Maradona, um, you know, then you get into Zidane, Beckenbauer, but Cruyff right with Zidane and Beckenbauer, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, I, I was thinking about comparisons, and you don't want to insult anyone here, but there's some similarities to Steve Jobs. And somebody's going to be insulted by that comparison, probably. But, you know, somebody who completely thought differently about the way to, to do something fundamental. Uh, and... And that's what Cruyff did, you know, as far as how he approached the sport, how he wanted it to be played. Uh, even similar to Steve Jobs in a sense that he didn't always get along with everyone. He could be a tough guy to, to, to deal with sometimes and, and kind of cranky. But, um, and, and he stood for something too, you know. I mean, uh, Cruyff refused to play in the 1978 World Cup in Argentina in part because he was protesting the military government there, Uh you know, the Netherlands got to the final and lost and probably would have won if they'd had him. And it's amazing how this stuff is still current. You know, President Obama was just in Argentina apologizing for the U.S.'s role in supporting that military dictatorship back in the 70s. And here's Cruyff, who made this very principled stance uh, at some sacrifice to himself in his own career. Those Dutch teams were probably the best teams in the world in 1974 and in 1978 got to two World Cup finals and didn't win either one. So there's just so much. I mean, I'm sitting here at a hotel in Guatemala and just finished my breakfast. And I looked over and there's a family with all the kids wearing Barcelona jerseys. And and that's partly Johan Cruyff's influence. So uh, just a, a, a giant figure in the sport who had some years in the U.S. Uh, as well that playing in Los Angeles for the Aztecs and in Washington for the Diplomats um, and made his own contribution to the sport in our country, which was pretty cool too. Yeah, just a, an unbelievable impact on the sport that we watch today. Uh, there's a great story in the SI Vault uh, from 1979, uh, I believe, 
that you can find on Planet Football right now as well too, um, about Cruyff and his arrival in LA, um, and, and just, it goes into so much detail. It's it's a really great piece. Uh, definitely read that uh, today on of all days. Um, you know, with the international break, you can be sure there's going to be tributes all over the world. There already has been, obviously, via Twitter, but. You know, the Netherlands plays France on Friday. They play England on Tuesday. Um, you can be sure there will be moments of silence and and perhaps some patches and, and things on uniforms around the world uh, as the soccer community pays tribute to one of its greatest players of all time. Um, there's no easy way to transition from that, but um, you know we will move on to talk about the USA and, and Guatemala now. Uh, two World Cup qualifying games. Um, you know, the U.S. can can really cement its place in the in the hex you know with six points here um grant i i guess what are things like right now in in guatemala uh can you just describe the scene yes it's my first time here actually so i was intrigued myself uh it seems like the u.s basically plays guatemala at some point in every four-year cycle of world cup qualifying uh and uh you know, Guatemala's not doing very well. Uh, they're going through a fairly rough stretch. They barely advanced to this round against Antigua and Barbuda. They have a new coach. Their best player may still be Carlos Ruiz, who's 36 now and actually scored in a qualifier against the U.S. here 16 years ago in 2000. Um, <laughs> you know, it's going to be, like, just from talking to like my cab driver here, there's a lot of pessimism around the Guatemalan team. This is a team that has only gotten to the hexagonal final round of qualifying once um, and is not expected to this time. Uh, they got a couple of decent players in, in Ruiz and Marco Papa. Um, and yet they've given the U.S. trouble over the years down here. The U.S. has only won once here, and that was in 2008. Uh, in 2012, it was a 1-1 game. Clint Dempsey and Papa scored in that game. Uh, and this Guatemala team has been together for over a week now. The Guatemalan League did them a solid and said, okay, we'll let you take the best guys in, get them together for a little while longer in advance of this game against the U.S., which they really want to win and, and need to win because they lost at home in the first match days of qualifying against Trinidad. Um, you know, if you're the U.S. and looking at this, if you get six points this week, and if, as expected, St. Vincent loses twice to Trinidad, then the U.S. would clinch a berth in the final round with two games to spare, which would be a really helpful, useful thing. Uh, the U.S. isn't in any danger right now of not qualifying, but uh, if something crazy were to happen down here that would, and the U.S. weren't to win the game, I, I think that could put some pressure on the U.S. heading back to Columbus next week. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I, I don't think Hurricane Klitzman or anybody on the team wants wants to be in that position. Brian, um, you broke down the roster for us on Planet Football. Um, you know, what do you think about this squad? And, and if Fabian Johnson can't go, it, you know, he's been hurt. And, and who knows what, what his status is from, from reports. It didn't seem like he'd been fully training with the team. Um, you know, would you anticipate any problems with this squad that they have? No, not at all. I mean, I, I, you know, the only thing that sort of made this uh, kind of really interesting or compelling for me was the the simultaneous uh, scheduling of the U23 playoff. Um, and I think considering sort of the lightweight nature of this group, the U.S.'s dominance of Guatemala and some of the depth that Klinsman's been able to build, I, I would have thought that and he's talked about how important the Olympics are. I mean, he's talked about that if they don't qualify You've lost a generation. Um, you know, I'm surprised, for example, to see John Brooks on this roster. I'm shocked to see John Brooks on this roster. Uh, 
Um, here's a guy who really could have helped the U23s uh, against Columbia, uh, especially uh, considering some injuries that team is dealing with in back, the U.S. U23s. And then with the senior team, you've got Matt Beisler, Omar Gonzalez, Jeff Cameron. You've got World Cup center backs who are more than capable of handling a Guatemalan team that's one of the worst in Central America. They're just not very good. So, um, you know, I'm surprised to see Brooks here. It makes me wonder if there was some kind of deal struck with her to Berlin or, or I don't know what's going on. But uh, but that's the one thing about the roster that surprised me. Obviously, otherwise, also Jermaine Jones uh, unavailable because of his suspension. Um, but again, I mean, there's depth there. I mean, you've got Kyle Beckerman that can play behind Michael Bradley if you want to go with the traditional number six. Or if you if you expect to have a bit more of the ball, which they should uh, against Guatemala, you can throw in someone like Darlington Nagby, like like uh, Mix Discrude, like Lee Nguyen, you know, people that can play off Michael Bradley, move the ball a little bit, connect to the outside midfielders and the forwards. Again, Guatemala is not a good team. Uh, the U.S. should certainly easily get the four points just because sometimes crazy things happen on the road in CONCACAF and maybe there's a draw. But, you know, you go down there expecting to win. I mean, the U.S. hasn't lost to Guatemala since 1998. Uh, 1988, I'm sorry. It's a span of 21 games. But they should expect to get six points. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, Josie Altador, another another potential injury. Uh, he might be he might have to miss these games. Uh, the one thing about, about Brooks, because uh, I was thinking about this as well, you know, teams aren't required to release players for the Olympic playoff, whereas they are for World Cup qualifiers. Now, they really shouldn't be that much of a difference right like if you're releasing a guy for international games on the same dates what's the what's the big deal but Hertha could have put up a fight and said no you can't have him for for the olympic playoffs yeah that's why, that's why you know yeah. that's why maybe there was some kind of deal with Hertha. but yeah i mean once if you're Hertha berlin and you put john brooks on a plane to fly across an ocean to play two soccer games why does it matter if those games are in guatemala and columbus or columbia and dallas like i don't see what the difference is but yeah i mean that's that's possible that conversations of that nature went on behind the scenes. Um, but, but like I said, considering the depth issues the U23 has and considering the depth surplus the senior team has at that position, it, it, at, at this point, without knowing more, it's a bit of a head scratcher. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to meet with Klinsman later today with other media, and I'll ask him that question. And so hopefully we'll get an answer. We'll see. I mean, John Brooks actually was released by Hertha Berlin to play with the U23s in Brazil late last year. And they didn't have to do that. So... Um, it's uh, an interesting you know, situation here. Uh, there's also a real chance that uh, after the first game in Colombia for the U23s, that some of these age-eligible guys on the U.S. senior team, like John Brooks, like DeAndre Yedlin, uh, possibly could get released to play for the U23s in the return game in Frisco, which obviously is going to be the decider for an Olympic berth. People have different ideas about the importance of men's Olympic soccer. I, I think it's something you want to be in, and it's something that you, uh, it's not World Cup qualifying, uh, but it's something that I think would be a very good thing for some of these younger U.S. players. And so does Jurgen. That's the thing. I mean, we, we can sit here and debate whether it's important, but Klinsman has come out and said, and Klinsman, the technical director of U.S. soccer, has come out and said, how vital this is to the to the overall sort of progress of this program and the, and the development of that next generation of players that they qualify for the Olympics. So he's come out and said it's a priority. Now, he's also said that World Cup qualifying, of course, is a bigger priority. And of course it is. But as you said, Grant, they're in good shape. They've got four points. They're in a poor group. 
you know, this team should be able to get at least four points off of Guatemala without too much effort. And there's still like a, you know, a home game against Trinidad and a road game against an awful St. Vincent team to come. So they're really, you know, sacrificing John Brooks and DeAndre Edlin to the cause is not going to hurt the senior team against a team like Guatemala. You wouldn't think. You wouldn't think. But uh, but there's surely reasoning behind it. And hopefully we can find that out. Um, one other thing of note um, in, in the roster structure of these two games. Uh, Christian Pulisic called up by the full national team. Uh, initially was on the full roster for these two games. He got sick. Um, and if he is healthy enough, he's going to join the senior team in Columbus. Um, now, they're, it's the same kind of argument, right? Shouldn't he be with the U23s? Couldn't he help the U23s? Uh, you know, you can can debate it a, a few different ways. Grant, what, what did you think um, about that? Well, if Pulisic does come in and does go to the senior team this week, that's a clear indication that they want to cap time as soon as possible and that they're concerned that his Croatian passport, uh, there actually is a chance that he could choose to play for Croatia instead of the U.S. In my experience talking to Pulisic, I don't think that's a, a huge concern. I mean, this is a guy from Hershey, Pennsylvania, who has deep ties to the United States, who played for the U.S. at the Under-17 World Cup, and yet... That would certainly be an indication that they want to tie him up sooner rather than later. And give Klinsman credit. I mean, this guy has, uh, when it comes to dual nationals, won a lot of recruiting battles. And I don't think this is nearly as tough a recruiting battle as some. Uh, you know, so you know, Klinsman is still the John Calipari of of soccer, in my opinion, as far as uh, winning some, you know, persuading guys. You know, Julian Green was a situation where that was a much bigger deal when he made his decision than it is now. But, uh, you know, other guys as well, Aaron Johansson, who could have been playing in the Euro this summer for Iceland, chose the United States. Um, you know, several other guys uh, connected to Mexico as well. So we'll see what happens with Jesse Gonzalez. But uh, clearly we're in a stage now where Klinsman has advanced beyond the days of the U.S. losing Giuseppe Rossi to Italy. Uh, okay, guys, I, I want to close this segment uh with a story grant that you wrote in 2000 um involving u.s fans guatemala called project mayhem uh why don't you why don't you just take us through through that it sounds pretty daunting well it it almost feels like it's something from the deep past because the u.s national team has so many more fans today than it does then but there's this you know very colorful history um back in 2000 the u.s met Guatemala as they are now in the semifinal round of World Cup qualifying. And in July of 2000, when it was very, very hot down here, Guatemala, instead of hosting the game in Guatemala City, as they always do otherwise, moved it to this cauldron town called Mazatenango, about a four-hour bus ride through the mountains uh, west of Guatemala City to this tiny stadium of 8,000, where it was... 95 degrees with 90% humidity. And the whole idea was to mess with the U.S. And that's what happened. And uh, you know, in the hotel or what passed for a hotel the night before this game, everyone in that town knew that the U.S. was staying there. And a radio station came with a pickup truck with a giant blaster of uh, you know, of a speaker or speakers on the back, and they just blasted music all night long to cause the U.S. players not to be able to sleep. And then in this just grueling game the next day, 
Ante Razov scored for the U.S. in the first half. The U.S. played well, and then the U.S. wilted in the second half in the conditions. And 20-year-old Carlos Ruiz, in the 88th minute, scored the equalizer for a 1-1 tie. And so after the stories of all of the gamesmanship and dirty tricks came out, for the return match, uh, the qualifier in Washington, D.C., a group of U.S. fans got together on big soccer and decided to form a group called Project Mayhem, is what they call themselves. And I actually wrote a story about this in Sports Illustrated magazine because I was literally with them in the hotel, the Guatemala team. They had gotten a room, a, a floor above the Guatemala team floor the night before the game, and they planned out this whole noise-making uh, plan where uh, we got together. It was like one in the morning, and... This group of U.S. fans uh, had all these noisemakers and air horns. And it was kind of crazy because I was a pretty young reporter then still. And a friend of mine from college came with me who lives in D.C. And my instructions to him were basically, we're here to report, you know, just kind of be flies on the wall. And before I knew it, my friend Joel was like helping organize this whole thing. And he's not like a hardcore (laughs) U.S. soccer fan. (laughs) And so I'm sort of looking on in, in horror, like, uh, please don't do this. And then the moment of truth comes and this group of fans uh, goes into the elevator and down onto the floor. And there's three security guards. And it got kind of rough because one of the security guards had a taser. And I wrote about this in my SI story, which we're posting, and missed uh in his attempt to use the taser on one of the uh, the U.S. fans. But the air horns went off. Uh, you know, I don't know if it was quite mayhem as they wanted it to be. Uh, no arrests were made. Police ended up escorting people off the premises. And I wrote this story. The U.S. won the next day, won nothing on a Brian McBride goal. And it was sort of the first days of, of organized U.S fandom doing stuff like this and, and there are elements of it that still make me a little queasy if you look back at my story that um you know a radio station jock in dc was encouraging u.s fans to throw urine bombs at the game on on guatemalan players the way the u.s had supposedly had thrown on them in guatemala which may or may not have been true uh so there are some elements that are are queasy and and phil mushnick the columnist for the new york Daily News or Post or he's sort of a, a famous curmudgeon actually wrote an entire column uh, basically decrying the Sports Illustrated story saying that we were glorifying uh, these hooligan U.S. soccer fans. So it's certainly part of a piece of history. The U.S. actually when they were selling tickets for that game uh, put the fans of, of Guatemala in the upper deck at RFK Stadium which may or may not have helped but um you know, it's a moment uh, in, I guess, the growth of, of the U.S. national team. Sounds to me it should have been called Project Taser Adjacent. <laughs> <laughs> and he was shoot and miss. Um, that's that's awesome. That's ridiculous. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely fire that up off the SI vault. Um, so you can all check that out. Um, with that, we're going to put a close on USA Talk. We are going to come back uh, with... Grant Wall, you got a chance to talk to Marwan Fellaini um, of Belgium. And we do have to stress that this conversation took place for the events uh, that happened in Belgium, the terrorist attacks this week. Uh, But we still want to play that conversation for you. So we'll have that after this quick break. 
We've got a great guest today on the podcast. He's a member of the number one world-ranked Belgian national team, and he's also a midfielder for Manchester United. Marwan Fellaini, thank you for joining the Planet Football Podcast. No problem. Uh, I wanted to start off, we're recording this on the Friday before the Man City-Man United game, uh, and this will actually come out during the international break. So I wanted to start out with Belgium. Uh, your national team is now the number one ranked team in the world, according to the FIFA rankings. What does that mean to you being the world's top ranked team? Yeah, it, it's great uh, to be the, the, the first, but I think that the, the most important now is we have to win something. It can be better. <laughs> and win a trophy, it can be better. No, and that makes sense, obviously. Uh, it's one thing to be ranked number one on paper. Uh, you have a friendly coming up with Belgium on March 29th against Portugal. You're in the squad for that. Uh, and also your Euro 2016 group is difficult. You have Italy, Ireland, and Sweden. How do you view that opening game against Italy, and, and what will it tell you about your team? Yeah, it's just, well, everyone knows we, in Belgium is a tough group. I think uh, it's good, and it's good because we will directly be focused because uh, be focused because uh, it's a, such a great game and against a big team. And uh, everyone know Italy; they are the, they they are hard to play against in a big competition. So, mm -hmm. so I think uh, it's good for us to play against Italy in the first game. How is your role with the team different with the Belgian national team than it is with Manchester United? I think I, I play the same position. I play number eight. Uh, I can go forward uh, in the box. So and back to my position. I think uh, I enjoy to play there. Uh, and uh, yes, I'm, I'm happy to play. Uh, I'm happy to play uh, to play. You know. If the manager say to me I have to play number six, I do it. I play number ten, I do it. You know, for the team. But uh, my best position is number eight. You recently played your 200th Premier League game. That's the most for any Belgian player in Premier League history. Do you think your playing style is a good fit for the Premier League and the way the the game is played there? Yes, uh, I'm here since uh, I have I have an. 20 years old. Uh, I I I love this league. I love uh, how they play. I love um, the quality of uh, the 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 league. And uh, mm -hmm. uh, it's a competitive league, you know. You never know who will win the the game. It's been uh, an up and down season, a tough season at times for Manchester United. What do you think has gone well, and what do you think has needed to be better? Uh, yes, it's an up and down season. Uh, I think you have to be more constant. Uh, it's important because a club, a club like United, has to be constant if, if they want to win uh, something. You came from Everton to Manchester United as David Moyes started at Manchester United. Has that made it difficult at times for you with the Manchester United fans? No, uh, yeah, maybe, but uh, for me not because 
you know, it took me, you know, because he knew, he knew I can help the team. That's why he took me. But, uh, but, uh, yeah, me, I just play, I just play, try to play my games, try to work hard for the team. Uh, I wanted a new challenge. Uh, I had it with uh, Man United. For me, that's the most important, you know, to, to do the best for my team, for my club. You've played the last two seasons under Louis Van Hall at Manchester United. What have you learned about Van Hall during that time? Yeah. Well, how he worked. Uh, I think he has his uh, philosophy. Uh, he's a he loves football. He's a, how he said that. He's a, he like discipline. He's strict. Uh, he has a yeah, he has his quality, you know. Uh, he did a lot of success with uh, other teams, so he know what he's doing. Um, I wanted to ask you a question because I want to give you a chance to to get your voice out there. Because Howard Webb, the former referee, said on British television, he thinks you throw your elbows too much on the field. But I want to give you a chance to to respond to that and and get your point of view out there. How would you respond to that? Yeah. How? Just I uh, first thing uh, when I uh, I give a elbow, I don't give him to to injure the, someone. I just defend myself. That's it because they grab me, and sometimes I'm, I want two, three people. So uh, that's it. I don't want to. Uh, to injure the player, I'm not a, I'm mm-hmm. not a dirty player. I'm not a bad uh, player. I'm not a bad person, so I don't want to to do bad. I just defend myself. We're recording this on the Friday before the City United game. You have nine games left in the league. What's the best case scenario for Manchester United the rest of the season? How do you want to finish the season as a club? Yes, I think. Uh, we have to be on the top four. A club like Man United have to finish on the top four to be in the Champions League next season. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Uh, do you think it's it's possible at this point? Of course, nine games, not of points, mm-hmm. to, and a lot of games to, to to finish. So we have to do everything to to do, to to finish in the top four. And lastly, I wanted to ask you something uh, that really isn't anything to do with soccer. Your your hair has gotten a lot of attention over the years, and and people wonder: Are you always going to keep it that way? Do you plan on ever cutting your hair? Uh, I'm happy like that. That's my style at the moment, so I like it. So I keep it. <laughs> nice. Well, good stuff, Marwan. Good luck with Belgium and Manchester United. Thanks for joining the Planet Football Podcast. All right. Thank you for all the time, Myron Fellaini. Uh, again, I, I do want to stress that this interview took place before the events in Belgium um, that uh, that rocked the airport in Brussels and, and really uh, another another awful, awful terrorist attack on European soil that's that's involving the soccer world. There's talks uh, in UEFA about are, are they going to hold Euro games behind closed doors or not? UEFA says they will not. Um, Belgium and Portugal moved their friendly to Portugal. Uh, it was supposed to take place uh, on Belgian soil. So guys with the international break uh, taking over, 
this weekend and it's early next week. Uh, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on some of the games that you're looking forward to um, the most. I guess give me your your one game, whether it's a World Cup qualifier, or a European friendly. Uh, what what are you looking forward to, Grant? Let's start with you. Well, I mean, I'll go outside of CONCACAF. I mean, anytime Mexico plays is interesting to me. And this two games against Canada is going to be a, a good, give us a good idea of, of how much Canada has improved and if they have a shot to qualify for the Hex. Uh, but outside of CONCACAF, uh, for me, uh, Chile hosting Argentina, rematch of the Copa America final. Uh, Argentina needs some points. It's not quite crisis time because it's still early in South American qualifying, but in the first four qualifiers, Argentina has only won one of those games. They're in sixth place. Uh, it's obviously tough to go into Chile and get a, a win, but Lionel Messi's playing great soccer right now. Uh, Argentina's center backs, not so much, uh, whether it's uh, Funes Mori, whether it's Demi Chelis, um, and that's just the, the everlasting concern for for Argentina. Uh, Javier Mascherano is going to have to come up big, I think, for them to have a chance to to get what they want in Chile. But, um, you know, around the world, there's a lot of qualifiers in Asia, uh, in South America, and CONCACAF. European friendlies don't interest me all that much uh, this week, but uh, I still think it would be great to have a global FIFA television channel. Uh, I went and looked uh, for this day we're taping here on Thursday. You could sit in New York if there was a FIFA channel and at 5 a.m. through midnight watch 20 straight World Cup qualifiers from around the world. Uh, there's no reason this channel doesn't exist. I hope it does someday, and uh, and I think that would be a lot of fun. For sure. Uh, Brian, is there is there a game you've got circled? Uh, well, you know, the channel would be awesome. I mean, I could have gotten up at 4.45 in the morning, uh, which was about two and a half hours after I went to sleep, <laughs> and, you know, made, made some coffee, and then turned on, you know, FIFA 24-7 Granta Palooza and watched uh, Australia beat Tajikistan 7 0. Um, that would have been awesome. But I but I, I slept instead. Um, I'm I'm I like Grant. I'm really interested to see how Canada is is gonna do in the in this home and home against Mexico. They're they're supposed to get more than fifty thousand fans in Vancouver. Uh, and then they're going to go to Azteca. I mean, it's just remarkable. I mean, the, the soccer is not, you know, it, it's not as big in Canada as it is in the U.S., but it's far from an afterthought. And obviously the MLS teams are very well supported. Um, they have money. They have infrastructure. They, they have a decent population relative to other countries in CONCACAF. And it's just kind of remarkable to me that they haven't made the hex uh, since, since qualifying, I think, for the 98 World Cup. I mean, it, it's just incredible that they haven't managed to be one of the final six teams in CONCACAF in all that time. And so now that they've started off well and Honduras is struggling and they have this chance, I, this could be a tipping point moment for them. You know, this, this game in, in BC place in front of 50,000 people, um, you know, they've got some talent. Obviously, uh, Kyle Lyron is, is scoring goals and, they, you know, they've got some decent depth in midfield. And 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 maybe, maybe this is a moment they'll look back on and, and say this is when sort of the national team took the next step. So, uh, you know, I, I'm really looking forward to watching those. Um, and then, like like Grant said, in South America, not only do you have Chile uh, hosting Argentina, but you've got Luis Suarez's return uh, to competitive action with Uruguay. Uh, he has not played a competitive game since taking a chunk out of uh, Chiellini at the World Cup. Um, it's almost two years. Uh, he had to have uh, suspended for nine competitive matches. And he'll return against Brazil, of all teams, uh, in Brazil. 
so Suarez versus Neymar, uh, you know, ancient rivals, Uruguay and Brazil playing each other. So that that's a must watch as well. Absolutely. That's that's the game I've got, um, you know, my eye on. That's that's going to be great. And, and especially just the way both of those guys are playing. Um, you know, now they don't have a, a Messi to their side or each other to their side. Uh, and, and they bet a hamburger on the game, right? Suarez they and... They bet a burger, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> it better be one of those, like, $100 Vegas burgers that comes with, like, gold leaf tomatoes or, or whatever. <laughs> we, we can only hope. Uh, some of the other games to, to keep an eye on, Germany-Italy, uh, Germany-England, uh, both Netherlands games, of, of course... Um, you know, not because the Netherlands are playing all that great, but uh, but what they'll do to honor Johan Cruyff, um, we'll be sure to, to to want to see that, and of course Belgium Portugal. Now that that game remains on, uh, to see what what those two teams do uh, to honor the fallen of those terrible attacks in Brussels, um, Colombia Ecuador, another big game in South American qualifying, uh, and and look with these teams coming to the U.S. this summer for Copa America, I think there's a little bit of a greater emphasis on, on checking out what they're doing entering that tournament. So, you know, there's there's kind of a, a double, um, you know, multiple reasons to, to keep an eye on these games. Um, Maybe worth a mention that Michigan Michigan man, Suni Saad, uh, former Sporting Kansas City forward, started his first World Cup qualifier today for Lebanon. Uh, and they uh, they only lost to Korea, one nothing uh, in Korea. So that's a, that's a good result uh, for Lebanon. And just thought I'd throw that out there that... Uh, American kids started for Lebanon in a World Cup qualifier today. Very cool. Very cool indeed. Um, before we get out of here, Grant, I want to talk to you about Leicester City. Uh, it's the international break, so unfortunately Leicester will not be playing this weekend. Um, but had an opportunity to run your magazine story uh, on Leicester City on Planet Football. Uh, thank you to all for, for your feedback and, and for reading it. Uh, it was a great piece. Uh, just you know your experiences around that that town and and seeing it firsthand. What what was your takeaway? I mean, it was a recent trip that I took there. I was I spent four days in Leicester, and I think even now I'm starting to realize how special it was to be on the ground there for four days during this really special time. That even people in Leicester were saying, you know, I've been here for 50, 60 years, and there's never been anything like this here. There's never been anything like this, really, in, in the history of the Premier League that goes back to 1992, uh, as far as a complete outsider, uh, a team that was predicted by a lot of people, including myself, to get relegated, uh, leading the Premier League, and really being the favorite now to win the Premier League, up five points on Tottenham with seven games to go. And really appreciate just the the people in Leicester who spent so much time with me. And some of these were fans like a uh, 350 pound Lee Jobber, the guy who uh, plays the drum inside the stadium and told me about all his history following the team to every game home and away for the last 30 years. To Alan Burchinall, who's the club ambassador and 70 years old. And just a really neat image of, he was saying that he on a Sunday, we'll pick up the newspaper and just stare at the table for five or 10 minutes and just, you know, he knows where Lester is, but he just stares at it and smiles. And uh, and then the team itself. Uh, I, I went to Lester during a really busy time for him. They had a game in the Premier League on a Saturday against Norwich. They won in the 88th minute, which was just an incredible scene inside the stadium. And then three days later, they had uh, a game on a Tuesday against West Brom that they tied. 
And yet the day before that game on a Monday, they opened themselves up and I was able to interview Claudia Ranieri, the manager, uh, and Jamie Vardy, who's such an amazing story himself, going from uh, semi-pro soccer at age 25 to leading the Premier League in goals at age 29. Uh, Wes Morgan, the captain, uh, who now plays for Jamaica as well. Uh, and Casper uh, Schmeichel, the goalkeeper, who was the most probably the most thoughtful uh, interview that I had to the point where I, I did another story with some of the outtakes I didn't use in the magazine story and just had a lot of stuff from Casper Schmeichel about what it means to be involved in such a special story. And for me, I had just you know covered the FIFA election before I went over to Leicester, and it, it was just a really positive experience to have a pure sports story that you're involved in. And it, in my position, it's pretty hard to screw up a story that good. And it's been a lot of fun to see the responses from uh, from readers uh, around, really around the world. Uh, you know, Gary Lineker did us a solid. He's got four million Twitter followers. Huge Lester guy, uh, and, and uh, retweeted the story. And uh, so, yeah, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, at this point, you know, I know we're not supposed to root here. I hope they win it. Uh, I think it would be an amazing story uh, that we'd remember for a really long time. Get ready for the hate mail when they drop their next two games, go down to second place, and the SI Jinx gets <laughs> <laughs> the legend of the SI Jinx reaches Leicester, England. Um, no, it's been a it's been a phenomenal story to watch, and uh, I think this is something that uh, that our producer Alex Abnos uh, tweeted out. Leicester has won an insane amount of games that they have not played in. Uh, the, so many results have gone their way, um, and and games that they are not part of, um, whether it's with Tottenham or Arsenal or Manchester City and United. Um, and it's, it just kind of feels like everything is building up to, to this title run. Um, it's, it's, it's the perfect storm and it's been fantastic to watch. And you know what, for, for the premier league, it's, it's a blessing because so many of the powerhouses, the traditional powerhouses are down and it's been such a bad year. Uh, yet here they are with, with this unbelievable story that's kind of manifested itself. Um, and it's, and it's been a treat to watch. Definitely keep an eye on that after the international break. Um, and with that, I think we're going to call it. Today, uh, I want to thank Grant Wall in Guatemala and Brian Strauss, who will be in Columbus. Definitely keep an eye on Planet Football for their USA Guatemala World Cup qualifier reporting. Uh, for Alex Abnos, our producer, I am Avi Creditor. We will talk to you next week on the Planet Football Podcast. Do you know about the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one daily sports podcast network? Locked On has a daily podcast on every NBA and NFL team, plus a growing lineup of college and MLB teams. You get a daily bite-sized podcast giving you the latest on your team from the local experts. Lakers fans, search Locked On Lakers. Cowboys fans, search Locked On Cowboys. Just search Locked On, your favorite team, on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, or tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On, your favorite team. Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.